want you to realize, as I have to realize, that when God made me and when God made you, He made us whole. He made us complete. When He made mankind, He said, it is good. I am pleased. It is what I desire. But over the course of time, mankind has made choices. Wrong choices, some good choices. We've, we've put ourselves behind the eight ball, so to speak. We've put ourselves in trouble. And it was because of that that separated us from God that required an absolute, perfect, 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 spotless something to stand in the gap. And that something was someone named Jesus. And He came to make us whole again. Would you just, as we stand together in honor of our Father, in praise to our Son Jesus, would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we love You. And there's no way today that we can understand wholeness, completeness, perfection, unless we look to You. For, Lord, our lives are far from perfect, and many maybe even far from You, God. But we thank You for taking the initiative, for taking the steps necessary, paying the price, the perfect, perfect gift that You were, and paying the price so that we could be whole again. And Father, this is a lifetime pursuit that we're on to seek to be whole and complete in our minds, in our bodies, and in our spirits. Lord, would You be our teacher, our guide, our very present help in everything that we go through in this life that we can be whole So that, Lord, not through our achievements, but through allowing Your Spirit to work inside of us. Not through our conniving and our psychology or our methodology, but, Lord, through Your Spirit's perfecting work in us, that when we stand before You, and we stand before the Father, and we stand before all the heavenly host, You will see us as whole again. We thank You for Easter morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. You are a trichotomy. You are made up of three different parts all rolled up into one package. You all clearly have a body. You're here bodily. There are some who aren't here bodily, but they're here in their spirit. That's what they'll say. The rain kept their bodies inside, and so their, their spirits were here today, maybe, I guess. If you can separate your body from your spirit, let me know how. But uh, the body is that animate part of us that makes up 
the part that we focus on, we groom, we, we hygiene, we, we care for, we go to the gym for, we, we want to, we taste, we smell, we touch, we hear. Everything happens in our body is, and our bodies are a part of what God's plan is and how we take care of our bodies. Our bodies, as Scripture says, is the temple of God. So this building is not the temple. Our bodies are the temples. And we must take care of our bodies. And that is a, that is a, a message seldomly spoke of in the church today. But our bodies make up in part who we are. It is, it is the container in which God resides. And so we must take care of our bodies. We must understand our bodies. But we're also made up of a spirit. We're also made up of a spirit that's spiritual, is a spiritual being that in, in which we exist. And, and some people don't want to acknowledge the spirituality of, of mankind, but we are spiritual beings. And you can go from, from, uh, from one corner of the earth to another corner of the earth, and you cannot separate it. It doesn't matter the tribe. It doesn't matter the people group. It doesn't matter where they are. There's always a spirituality about a people group. We're always seeking, no matter who we are and since the beginning of mankind, we have been about connecting with a higher being, call it that if you will, God if you will, spirits if you will, our former ancestors, whatever it is, we are trying to connect because there's a part of us, as Augustine said in the times of Constantine, he said there's a God-shaped void in all of us. And we are constantly trying to put different things in our God-shaped void to fill up that God void inside of us, that, that, that spiritual void inside of us. And an agnostic will try to fill it with intellectualism. And atheism will try to fill it with himself, that there isn't a God, so therefore he must be God. Uh, a, a pluralist will, will try to fill it with spiritualism. A materialist will try to fill it with money and stuff and things. A Hindu will fill it with many thousands of gods. We're always constantly about filling this void that is inside of us. We must be aware that that spiritual side is there. I've been banking for over 30 years that I have filled up my void with Christ. And I have been trying to keep Christ at the center of my life for over 30 years. Failed miserably sometimes, and we won't go into there today, but... That is a God-shaped void that I have, and I believe that Jesus Christ is that perfect fit for all mankind. And that's why I I stand and I speak to that end. So we're of a body, we're of a spirit, but we're also of a soul. Our soul is our mind. Our soul is our perspective. Our soul is our worldview. It's it's our thought processes. It's, uh, It's how we think. It's our perspective. It's our emotions make up our Our soul. And you can't get away from the emotional side of us, even though we would like to discount the emotional side or the mental side of us and create the spiritual as being the greater. And it is. I would say that it lives on forever. But again, I come back to the very first statement I made. God made you whole. God made you whole. And when He made you and I whole, it was only through the process of our own poor decisions that we messed up the whole. And I believe we've messed us up ourselves up bodily. I think we've messed ourselves up spiritually. I think we've messed up ourselves emotionally or mentally at times. And again, I think the goal of Christianity is not to make you religious. The goal of Christianity is to make you whole. 
And so the goal of the resurrection is not to merely make you wear a cross or a tattoo of a cross or identify with some church denomination or something out there. The goal of, 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 of Christ's perfection coming and dying for our imperfections is that we might be whole again. So we begin a new series of messages today on creating wholeness in our mind and in our soul. And thinking of the emotions that we go through, many plethora of emotions that we go through on a day-to-day basis. But I want you to understand that this is not just my goal, but this is actually the goal that God has for us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, set you apart is the word sanctify there, Through and through. That's the totality of who I am. God wants the totality of Mike McDaniel to be complete and whole, sanctified and set apart. Not just my body, not just my spirit, but He also wants my mind. He said, may your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we start today to talk about a side of us that maybe we would leave to the psychologist. Or we would leave to someone else. Or we would leave to our spouse to help us sort through the various emotions that we have. But we're going to begin over the next several weeks to unpack different emotions that we all have at different times that are triggered on different ways. And these emotions are key if we don't understand them, if we don't unpack them and repack them in in a God-like way, that our emotions can control us. And our emotions have a tremendous influence on our life. it's, It's really, I believe it's the engine that drives our entire life many times, if we allow it. And that's a dangerous thing if we don't, again, understand emotions. If God hasn't set our emotions aside and we have not allowed Him to shape and change our emotional side in which we are. Here's just a statement from Tom and Joan Schultz, who are master educators, and they wrote the book called The Dirt of Learning. And he said this, Emotion is the glue of learning and retention. You want somebody to really take a hold of a truth, you've got to connect with them on an emotional level. In fact, researchers have found that emotions are two times more important than facts in helping you determine making a decision in life. Two times more important than the facts are are emotions that help make us. They help form who we are. This is what one neurologist said. He said the essential uh, difference between emotion and reason is that emotion leads to action while reason leads to conclusions. When we understand the power of the emotion inside of us, and the feelings that we have, the feelings for anger and the feelings for fear and the feelings for stress and and the feelings that we might go in, in loneliness, feeling alone. And when we understand those feelings and why I deal with those feelings or you deal with your feelings on a day-in, day-out basis, why we try to medicate these feelings and why we try to get counsel from these feelings and why the largest area of book publication is self-help. It's because many times we don't understand the emotional side of who we are. And if we could understand it and allow God to penetrate our emotions and to shape our emotions, then maybe we would become that whole individual again. 
And the value of that is going to be priceless in our life. It will shape us. Because I believe that emotions are the engines. Emotions are the barometer, the condition of our soul. If we don't understand our emotions, then we will become an impotent individual in life. We're going to deal with anger, depression. We're going to deal with stress. We're going to deal with loneliness. But I want us today to deal with an emotion that I believe was so prominent on Good Friday. It was so prominent on the day when, when, when the Savior of the world was all of a sudden in the minds of the disciples, was vanished, was gone, was dead, was finished. And now all of a sudden their wrath, fear has wrapped them. Fear has engulfed them. They're going all kinds of places and they're changing their opinions. And we've got to understand what fear is. Is it a friend or is it a foe in our life? Fear is that number one emotion that we will look at. And I'll say this, that not all fear is bad. We, we should fear certain things. We teach our children to fear certain things. We as adults should fear certain things. But there's some things that we should not fear. Should we fear uh, Al-Qaeda? That ought to be a question. They can, kill our, they can kill us physically. Well, you know, the Bible actually says don't worry about those who can kill you physically. Worry about the one who can take your body and your soul. Here's a verse for us, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The real fear, there ought to be a, a bit of fear about us when, we, when, we, when it comes to thinking about hell, when it comes to thinking about Satan, when it comes to thinking about his demons and all the, that, that could be interplaying in our life. We need to have a fear about that. There's also a fear that we should have about God. Not one of those trepidatious kind of fears, but a fearful respect. And this is what it says in, in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's a fearful respect of God that leads me on the path of really understanding life. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But I'll tell you right now, those may be some healthy forms of fear. We're not going to focus on those today. What I want to focus on is a spirit of fear. And a spirit of fear is whenever our circumstances or our thoughts, it it may not even be a reality. But it's when our ideas and our circumstances begin to stand taller than we are. So when our circumstances and realities begin to overshadow and paralyze us so that we cannot move forward, so that we cannot be all that God would have us to be. And these are created in our lives in many different forms. Different things cause different people to fear over, over, over the course of their life. In fact, uh, just doing research on it this past week, I was able to find that there are 700 different phobias in this world. 700 different phobias that, that to a degree, cripple people, hold people back, keep them from moving forward in their life. Uh, we have, uh, maybe you've heard of claustrophobia, that, that close places kind of feeling. Um, there's agora, I'm going to butcher some of the names of these, so just kind of, I'm going to get in the the ballpark, hopefully. Agoraphobia is the fear of crowds. You get into a crowd, I can't stand being in a crowd, so therefore you just want to go sit on the the bench all the way, you want to go home, you can't get home fast enough. There's there's the the fear of crowds. There's uh, arachnophobia, spiders. 
He even made a movie about that, named it that a few years ago. Man, you know, I'm not afraid of spiders, but if they're going to make a movie, I know they're going to be jumping out at me. I don't want anything to do with those. You know, there's less common ones. We've heard of those, but maybe you have a problem with ergophobia in your home. That's the fear of work. Sometimes our children have agoraphobia, and they don't want to work, and they're afraid to work. Or there's, the, there's a melissophobia, that's the fear of bees, all right? Maybe your children have been stung and they'll develop a fear of bees. I think a lot of people have this next fear. They get this fear whenever they're coming home from vacation. It's called uh, uh, N-O-S-T-O-phobia, nostophobia. It's the fear of returning home. You know, what's going to face me when I get home? What, what bills are going to be there? What's broken at home? What didn't get done? You know, the fear of coming home is in a fear for some. There's erotophobia, sexual intimacy fear. There's, here's one. Uh, there's the fear of a sociophobia. It's the fear of your in-laws, okay? That's the fear of, that's one fear that you might have. Then there's the, the tropophobia. That's the fear of change. Some people do have a fear of change. They like everything the same. They like the services the same. They like their home the same. They like the food the same. They like sameness. They like, don't like change. They don't do well with change. They may be suffering from tropophobia. I don't know. I hope nobody in this room is suffering from homilophobia. That's the fear of sermons, okay? So you might be here today, and if you have that fear, then hopefully we'll conquer that today. Then there, if you don't can't find in these 700 different phobias out there, your phobia, if you have a phobia, there is the phobophobia. That's the person who's just afraid of being afraid. All right? So you can have a fear of fear in the midst of life. Now, you may not even be able to lump yourself into this, but I think to some degree at some different times in our life, and never whenever we have our life the way we like our life, But we face fears when sometimes God begins to do something different in our life. When God begins to try to change something in our life that we don't want changed. We like the way things are. We don't want them to change. And all of a sudden, there conjures up this emotion of fear. The University of Michigan did a study on fear and the effects on us and what fear does to us and really how much is there out there to fear. And this is what they found that the study determined that 60% of our fears were unwarranted. 60% don't even, don't even amount to anything. 20% have already become past events, but we're still, we're still fearing them even into the future. Another 10% were so petty they didn't even make a difference if, even if they became a reality. They only came down to about 10% that they had kind of a flip of a coin, and only 4 to 5% of them, they said, were true, legitimate fears in life. Again, I must say that if we don't control our fears, our fears will control us. And there's an antidote for every one of these emotions that we will go through, and every week we will uncover what that antidote is. And this week, the antidote for fear is faith. If we understand the power of faith, we can render powerless fear. If we understand it's not faith in faith, that's emptiness for sure. That's stupidity on the edge, okay? It's faith in something of substance. It's faith in knowing that what I'm doing here, God is about, so therefore whatever it is, it's going to be okay. God will see me through it. 
the disciples again were at a point in their life where they, they weren't understanding why Jesus is dying on a cross, but yet He's dying on a cross, he's, though He's been saying this for months. He's been talking about it for years, but they're still not getting it. There's still, there's still a misfire in their life. And all of a sudden, he's dead and he's gone and he's in the grave and oh no. And you got Peter denying Jesus three times, even cursing at, at, at his name. And you got, you got, um, you got, uh, oh gosh, you got Thomas who even doubts his resurrection. And you got all these examples of these disciples just kind of falling away. Falling away, falling away. So I just, I just come to you today and I just, I, I want to say, where, is it in your life that fear grips you and controls you? Because if you're not careful, fear will clip the wings of your faith. And I think that's an important thing to understand. Fear clips the wings of faith. And so what is controlling my life? Is it my fears of possibilities? Is it my fears of things that may not even happen? Is it my fear of past events like the University of Michigan found out? Is it my fear of fear? A fear. Or can I replace the fear that grips me and holds me back, and can I replace it with a rock-solid faith that moves me forward? So take your Bibles. Be looking at First, Second Timothy with me. Second Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at a young guy here. Paul's writing Timothy. Young Timothy here. Paul's just in this mentoring, protege relationship. And as he comes to young Timothy, we don't know a whole lot of the context, but you can read in the writings of Paul's letter to Timothy, and you can read that maybe Timothy is struggling a bit. He's struggling in fear. He's struggling in a little bit the unknown. Maybe he's seen what's happened to Paul, and he doesn't want that to happen to him. And you can kind of just see Timothy kind of stepping back away from his commitment. Just kind of stepping back away, maybe in fear. And so Paul writes these words, and he begins writing, and we're going to jump into verse 6, and it says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity. Now, your Bible may say the spirit of fear. Same word. Okay? The spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, a prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So here it is. Paul is trying to bring Timothy along. And I think what you've got to do real quickly is we've got to see the, uh, the crippling effect of fear that comes over you. And we see this kind of unpacked in, in Timothy's life here. And the first one is that you need to understand that the effect of fear is that it will rob you of memory. When fear has got a hold of you, then you tend to forget what God has done in you and for you. All you see are your circumstances. All you see are your ideas of what might happen. All you see are the possibilities and the contingencies that you're having to prepare for. And all of a sudden you begin to be robbed in your memory of what God has done in you and through you. So what was the very first words out of Paul's mouth to Timothy, or Paul's fingertips to Timothy as he writes this letter? He says, for this reason I remind you, verse 6, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. 
I want us to understand something today. That there's a flame that is in us. There's a presence of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And what happens when fear begins to take over faith and and the darkness drives out the light of faith, all of a sudden that flame that was once burning so bright in us that we could conquer the world and there was nothing that could hold us back, all of a sudden we begin to doubt, we begin to fear, we begin to question. And all of a sudden fear steps in as the dominant force in our life and faith goes out. And what Paul said to Timothy, he says, just remember, just remember, fan, kindle, throw wood on, throw gas on, do something. Keep the flame alive. Because if you're not careful, Timothy, it will go out. And your memory of what God has done in and through you, and and the memory of, of what you've done in Ephesus, it'll all be gone. And that's what happens when fear steps in. It robs us of our memory. Number two, it causes you to fail. If you look down at verse 8, you can see him. He's kind of telling Timothy, step up to the plate, my brother. Step up to the plate because you're not, you're not quite there right now. Because he says, therefore, do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering of the gospel, for the gospel. He calls him out. He says, listen, I need you to step up. Stop stepping back. But what fear will do is fear will tell us to take the path of least resistance. Fear will make our backbones like wet noodles. Fear, Fear will step into your life and turn you into water where you will just take that path of least resistance. When faith will call us to stand taller, walk taller, take, take moves and steps in, in life that we wouldn't normally take. But fear, when it comes in, it takes over and it will cause us to fail. I wonder sometimes, oh, I wonder sometimes, how many great men and women of God fear has crippled and put on the sidelines and kept them from becoming whole. And complete. I got a quote. It's not in your notes and it won't be on the screen. But I want to read it to you. And I think there's one phrase I want you to jot down. Sidney Smith said it. I found it just this morning and I included it in my notes. A great deal of talent is lost to the world for want of a little courage. That's a great statement. A great deal of talent is lost to the world for want of a little courage. Every day, sins to their graves obscure men whose timidity prevented them from making the first effort. That statement right there is so true. How many great people never made it great because timidity and fear held them back? Also, fear will make you weak. If you'll notice over in In the same chapter, verse 12, down a little bit, you'll notice again Paul's kind of ramping it up here. He's coming to Timothy. He's saying, come on, man, stand up, be a man. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You see that confidence in his voice? Can you hear it? 
But see what happens, fear will make a strong man weak, will make a valiant woman cower in this world. Don't let fear grip you. The antidote for fear is faith. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the spirit that God has given us. I want to talk about conquering faith that happens inside of us and how God gives us a conquering faith. Notice again that we're not necessarily going to have it. Okay, we're not necessarily going to have it. The flame can go out very quickly if we're not careful. Okay, so be very, very, very conscious of that. But, but, but in verse 7, again, go back with, there with me. He says, for, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He didn't give us that spirit. But He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. The word timidity is the Greek word there, delia, and it means cowardness. God did not give us a spirit of cowardness. It's the only time it's ever used in Scripture. God did not make cowards. You read Joshua's story. I love it. It's what we named one of our boys Joshua because of the Joshua story. Read Joshua chapter 1. What does God say over and over and over to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Be strong. God doesn't raise up cowards. He raises up men and women of faith who take their faith into the darkness and instead of allowing the darkness to push their faith out. He has not given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardliness. He's not given us a spirit of of fear. He's given us a spirit that gives power, gives love, and gives discipline. So I want to talk about the three effects of faith and then I'll be finished. The one effect of having faith in your life is that you will have power. See, the thing is, is that many people fear not things that are of reality, but things that are of the future. Would you, would you hang on to that thought for a while? The next time you feel fear coming on you, you have to ask yourself, am I fearing something that's right now in the present? That's right now in my life? There is a gun pointed at my head? metaphorically or literally, it's something right now, or am I fearing possibilities? Am I fearing the future? Because one of the things we've got to realize is that God has put us in this world of a lot of unknowns. We like it or not, I think it's a mystery. It's like every day getting a new novel. All right? You don't know how tomorrow, how it's going to turn out. There will be a new novel tomorrow, okay? There will be a new story tomorrow. The great thing is is that God didn't just put us in this world as weak little lambs to figure it all out. He put us in this world, and as we have faith in Him and walk with Him, He has not given us a spirit of timidity, cowardness, but one of power, one of strength. And I love the Greek word there. For power is the Greek word dunamis. And you can even hear dynamite in that word. We get our English word dynamite from the word dunamis. We have dunamis. We have power in us. It was in Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, that whenever he came he did not come with persuasive words of wisdom and flowery speech. What he came in is in demonstration of spirit and of power. It was Jesus who said, go to the upper room, stay in the upper room till I send you the spirit in Acts 1, 8 and then you will have power. You will have dunamis. We will have power that this world cannot put its arms around. 
When we live in faith and walk in faith and live with Christ as, as the spilling up the void of our life in our spirit and our, and our lives are given to Him, we can live with confidence that we have not our power, but we have His power. Because I can look at myself and give all kinds of reasons to why I don't have the power. But I can also say that there have been many times in my life that God's called me to do something that if I didn't realize I can't do it, God, but you can, so therefore I'm going to go and I'm going to give as much as I can give, but God, what I can't give, would you please make up the difference? You're calling me to this and I'm going to do it. I can remember the very first time God called me to, 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 to preach and to be a pastor. I was a 13, 14-year-old little kid, and a 15-year-old. And um, as, I was, as I was coming to that, that point in my life when uh, uh, I was just fearful of that. I was fearful of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of the, even the, the concept of standing up in front of people or anything like that. I just didn't, didn't want anything to do with that. So here I am in this position now of being called. And I can remember I went to a little double-wide trailer church for my very first message. It was just literally down the street here in Bentonville. And it was a double-wide church. And I can remember I had on my old sport jacket that night. And I was sweating through my jacket. And there was about 40 people in the room at best. Half of them were family, maybe, and friends. And here I am to speak. And I am so nervous that as I stand up with my little 10-minute ditty called a message, and I share it, one person gets saved and seven other people give their, rededicate their life. And I realized at that point I couldn't, but what I couldn't, maybe God could fill in the gap. Maybe God would be my power. Maybe God would be my strength. And so that's what I wanted from that point forward. When you operate in faith, because fear was all over me, but when you operate in faith, then you can begin to see the power of God at work in you. If you only operate in what you can do, you'll never see the power of God at work in you. You will only see what you can do. Get it? That's very important, very big. All right, the second thing uh, that we get as an effect of, uh, of faith is he said not only uh, do you have power, but you also have love. Love. You know what? Pure and simple, here's a great verse for you. First John chapter 4. Verse 18 says, perfect love, perfect love, cast out fear. When we understand the power of love, we will understand that it is okay to love people and not be loved back. When we understand the power of love, we'll understand that it's okay to be vulnerable with people who may not be vulnerable with you. Love is one of those elements that I would call a supernatural gift and ability that comes to a person. How can you love somebody unconditionally? How can you love somebody no matter how many times they failed you? Only because of faith and love. Real quickly, here's one more. There's the element of discipline that comes to us. He says not only do you have, I didn't give you spirit of fear or spirit of timidity, but of love. But a power and a love and a sound mind. And the, or a sound mind is what one version puts it at. Over a discerning spirit. Here's an acrostic for you. Fear is this, false evidence appearing real. Fear is a false evidence that appears real. And the, the reality is, is that when I live my faith, when I walk by faith, when I make decisions by faith, instead of all based on fact, all based on the fear elements, 
then I can begin to see God work. And I can make decisions. I can love people that I wouldn't normally love. I can give grace to people that I wouldn't normally give grace to because I have the spirit of love. I can have power to do things that I wouldn't normally be able to do because I'm walking in faith. But I can also see things that I wouldn't normally be able to see. I have a discerning mind. I have a discerning spirit that I wouldn't normally have outside of living and walking in faith. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. That when Jesus went to the cross, he did not suffer from starophobia. That's the fear of crosses. I'm so glad that whenever he prayed, God, is there any other way? Can I get out of this? Can I not go to the cross? That he lived by faith and he walked in obedience in that faith. And he went to the cross for you and for me. Interesting thing is that whenever I was reading this website of all these different phobias... I have a big disclaimer at the top of it. We are only here to list all of the fears. And then it had it in bold red print. We cannot give you the answers for your phobia. I thought, what a hopeless website. You want to know where your fear is? You want to know what you're fearing? Go to that. You got all your fears. There you go. But I can't tell you how to get rid of it. I can't tell you how to deal with it. So just go out and live in your fear. It was funny and sad all at the same time. And I thought, but there's a difference. When I walk with Christ, and when I walk with a risen Savior who can defeat death, hell, and the grave, you know what? I don't have to live in fear. Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from my fears. Van, would you come on back up here? I sought the Lord. And He delivered me from all my fears. Here's a question for you today. Is there anything in your life that you would call a fear element? Maybe God's asking you to move somewhere, do something. I don't know. Whatever whatever it is. Anything in your life that's holding you back for fear? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And let Him take away those fears that can be in your life. Psalm 34, great verse. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. There may be some people today in this room, and we're going to have a response time where you can come and kneel here at the front and just lay your fears right here. You can come, I'll pray with you, you can lay your fears right here. Let, let, whatever it is. But there may be some today who's suffering from the paralysis of analysis. They have been analyzing and analyzing and analyzing Jesus for many, many years, but they have never crossed the line in faith. They're afraid of what the future may hold. Don't be afraid of Jesus. He will give you power, He'll give you love, and He'll give you discipline. Let's pray together. Father God, we bow before You. We thank You for these moments. We pray that You will be our teacher in every way. In Jesus' name.